All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. And today I have on Dave McConey, who I believe is known as the Lifting Dentist. Is that your <laughs> artist name? Uh, I've been called that. I've been called many things. Yeah. Uh, so we attempted to do this very thing on Christmas Day, actually. Uh, but we had some technical issues, so now we are here for a repeat, but hopefully this will be good once again. Uh, but yeah, Dave, how are you doing? Doing good, man. I'm uh, going for an overhead press PR today, so I'm about to drink a lot of coffee. Oh, nice. What, what's what's the number? Uh, probably 215. Uh, 210 was my last PR. I, I really have no idea if I'm going to get it, though. Um, the program I've been doing has been a little different, and my sleep hasn't been the best, so we will see. Yeah, I've been seeing some of your PRs on Instagram. You're hitting some pretty decent numbers. Um, have you, because I heard in a recent video, you mentioned that you haven't been doing certain lifts like squats and deadlifts because some back issues. Um, is, is that something new or that's something that's been bugging you for, for a long time? So it's not actually, I mean, it's, it's back issues. Um, but also I just don't do as much heavy lifting anymore, like especially squats and deadlifts. Um, I just had like some heart issues in the past and it's, it seems better now. Um, but like every cardiologist I've been to has basically told me to not <laughs> go crazy heavy anymore. Um, so including like, you know, I, unfortunately a lot of MDs, I don't really trust their background when it comes to like lifting. Um, but I've even seen, uh, for example, like LeBron James's cardiologist, which was kind of cool, mm. but, uh, you know, so people who work with athletes and even those have told me to, you know, kind of take it a little easier. So usually the PRs I'll go for are like higher reps now. Um, but with overhead press, it's like, you know, of the main lifts, it's, you know, you're using the lightest weight for the most part. So I'm still comfortable doing it with that, but I wouldn't do like a, a crazy max deadlift or anything like that anymore. Right, right. Okay, well, uh, then best of luck on your OHP uh, progress. Um, have, have you been uh, catching up on happenings in the fitness industry, like uh, little dramas that's happening, like the Mike Isretel, Greg Doucette debate a couple of weeks ago? Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, uh, I'd say fortunately, and unfortunately, I think that stuff draws the most attention um you know i just had the video that i posted up on in your group and, and on my channel and it's like you know lyle versus brett and part of that is you know the title it just it just gets more attention and it's not really just lyle versus brett it's kind of you know what brett does with the hip thrust versus this study and and people are coming out and talking about this study uh so when you see like greg Doucette versus mike Isertel, and it's, it's a huge thing i mean that that blew up more than a lot of things recently um, and so it just kind of does catch people's attention, including my own, you know, I mean, I did spend probably half an hour to an hour of listening to those debates and everything. And I made my own video on it. So it's interesting. Um, I think, I think debate is good in the industry to, you know, so you're not just accepting one guru's ideas. Um, obviously it can get a little out of hand at times though. Yeah. I wonder how much it benefits the people that are actually participating in the drama. Like um, Greg Doucette, for example, is someone who does a lot of these things. And I wonder if it actually helps his coaching business in some ways, because on one hand, I have the same perspective as probably you have, that it doesn't really provide any real value to anyone as much as actual discussions about real topics that can directly help people. But on the other hand, Greg is, um, I actually just saw that he's charging some pretty hefty amounts for his coaching. And he even said it in his video, one of his videos that one out of 20 people can afford that. So from that standpoint, maybe it helps him to just have a sheer number, like a really big number as, as far as his audience goes. Wow. And then more people can afford that um, statistically. So I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting how people will just go, you know, that whole like, pre-selection idea of just if you see other people who are into something you just assume it's better right and that i mean it applies to people you know you, you see an actor or something and everybody's swarming around them that you just they seem like somebody you want to be around and in the industry you know nobody knew greg Doucette isn't really any more knowledgeable now than he was one year ago but a year ago he probably could charge a quarter of what he charges now just because people know his name you know and it's I mean, I think everybody kind of realizes that it's just interesting to see it take hold here in the fitness industry. So, so obviously, you know, where I think in the last year, he's gained like 180 or something thousand subscribers. Yeah. Um, and that's allowed him to really get his name out there and charge higher prices when, you know, he's probably not any, I'm, I'm sure he's a good coach, but he's probably not any better of a coach now than he was just a year ago, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Have you seen the latest drama between Brandon Harding who was uh, who is this really big YouTuber? He has like five hundred thousand subscribers, and on Instagram, he's also really big. And he's an um, enhanced bodybuilder looking for his pro card, and he was coached briefly by Greg Doucette, and then 
Brandon dropped him because he wasn't satisfied with the coaching and there was this drama on YouTube. Have, have you seen any of that? I only saw the title of Greg Dissett's video that said, like, why did Brandon Harding drop me? So I'd seen who Brandon Harding was. I saw him maybe a year or two ago. I don't know much about him. And then I saw Greg Dissett talk about how he dropped him, but I didn't look into why that was the case. Um, it's a lot of Greg's videos. <laughs> I don't I don't really watch them, to be honest. Um, I, I only heard of him, I think, when you started posting about him. And then as you and I talked about it's it's really interesting to see the cycles and you'll see the guys who have been in the industry for like a really long time talk about this but you know like when i was first getting into it like keto was kind of big back then that was like 2007 2008 uh that was when lyle mcdonald first popularized it then you had 2011 you had intermittent fasting with martin birkin and then kino body greg gallagher made it big again like years later and it just goes in cycles and um i don't i think you and i talked about this off air but greg Doucette is almost like the better second coming of jason blaha you know his popularity i mean he's way more built and you know impressive than jason blaha but if you look at it jason blaha blew up because he was openly talking about steroids he was openly talking about cycles and he was calling out people doing like natty or not videos and that's a huge way that greg just has blown up right he's the guy who's now talking about steroids he's the guy with the experience on it He's the guy who's calling out, is this person natural or not? And I mean, it's literally the same thing. I mean, I think he does a better job, but it is the same type of video and it's just kind of recycled. And so it's, it's interesting to see that. So I don't, that's part of why I don't click on them that much because it's like, okay, I, I kind of could guess what he's going to say before he, I even watch the video. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I'm watching his videos is because he's actually, like, if you look beyond the surface, like you, you look beyond the yelling and the cockiness and calling people morons and stuff. First of all, I, I just have an intuition with him that he's not doing that completely seriously. Like he's just kind of being, mm -hmm. I don't know, he's being sarcastic and kind of just trolling people. And, you know, some of the um, stuff, for example, this Brandon Harding guy was saying that, well, Greg is really only coming to life when he's on camera. Otherwise, he's like really quiet which kind of speaks to that idea again. But if you look beyond all of mm -hmm. that, he actually has a lot of good messages about kind of like the sustainable fitness way, which is what I like to talk about as well. He's just uh, doing it in a really entertaining way. I'm assuming it's a lot more exciting to watch than, than my videos, you know, probably, sure. which is why he has a lot more uh, followers. But he's saying things like simple things, for example, whatever is your dream physique where you have to like break your back to get down to a body fat percentage versus what's your body fat percentage where you're just eating whatever you want and not giving a shit like the actual body fat that you can maintain is like between the two which is like really right. simple but it's so it's such a valuable thing for people to hear and he has a lot of things like this which people can really take away from his work it's just i guess it's hard to sometimes look beyond the goofiness and the yelling and all of that stuff but right yeah no i think for sure i mean it's not just about the message it's, i mean it's often not <laughs> almost at all about the message it's kind of like how it's portrayed and I even had that, you know, I'm used to, I guess, more, I don't know, like standard debates and, and conversations and, and just how I speak. And there's been a number of times where I have recorded a video and I watch it and I'm like, damn, I sound so boring <laughs> because it's just like it's how I normally talk, but I don't talk like a YouTuber, you know, I don't talk like Greg Doucette. And so and usually I never redo the videos because I don't <laughs> I don't just don't care enough to do that. Um, but I watch it. I'm like, man, like that, like I'm bored <laughs> listening to this. So, you know, I, I think even if you watch my like recent videos compared to like the, my first videos, if you went back like a year ago, you'd probably notice a significant difference in tonality and demeanor. Um, but that that's still me. If anything, I was probably on video less charismatic than I am in person. Mm. You know, if I'm like, you know, talking to people in person, I, I'm probably more charismatic than those videos. I was just in my mind, it was like, okay, I'm putting informational content out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, no question, people like Greg just said have a, um, you know, they, their demeanor and their charisma really garner a lot of attention. Yeah, although it's funny how it can seem different, I guess, from the inside, because I, I like watching your videos. This is not just me like uh, trying to compliment you. Like when I see that you put out a video, uh, like a solo video, I usually click on it because I you usually have like well-reasoned takes, you phrase yourself intelligently and you what? make good points. So it's just that you're probably, that's the thing, like your video is not for like mass market, like mass, mass consumption, like mine aren't. Right. Like not, that's why I, after many years, I'm still under 10,000 subscribers, but um, it has also a benefit because I'm attracting less morons, <laughs> as, <laughs> as bad as it is to say. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is, um, I think 
it's sometimes I'm like forgetting like when we've talked about something on air or off air, but I think something that you and I talked about was just how much like I'm I'm almost shocked to see how much of the not just fitness but just like Instagram and social media is just like completely fake and it, it's weird like I'm used to following the fitness based industry you know so I see like an Eric Helms and he has like a hundred thousand subscribers now or followers on uh Instagram and I think most of those are actually like pretty genuine followers and so that's great and then I'll see somebody else and it's like you know, they just post pictures of their physique. And this could be, I mean, certainly for women, although I don't really follow many like women's accounts where they're just posting pictures of their body, but also for men where it's like mostly just pictures of their body. And then like, oh, I offer coaching. I look at their followers and it's like, these look like either like fake accounts or they're just like these like random accounts out of like India or something where it's like they don't have any, they don't post anything. Like it's just, it's, it's just strange. And it's something that I never knew existed, but it just seems like a ton of fake accounts, a ton of fake content. Um, it's just, I was surprised to see how much of that was out there. And so, yeah, I mean, you could probably, I know some people like buy followers or, or things like that. I'm sure you could do that just for the number. Um, but I think, you know, if I look at your videos and maybe you have only quote 10,000 subscribers or so, but I think you have like intelligent followers and good discussion going on, which is, you know, I mean, sometimes the random comments can be funny on other people's videos. Like I usually do go down and read the comments, but it's, it's not, it's probably not helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. I think the big follower ship always comes with a bit of a price. Like, um, the kinds of comments that Mike Isretel, for example, gets on his Instagram videos. I, I don't know if I would have patience for that, honestly. Like probably, and he like actually responds to a lot of those. Like probably if mm -hmm. I saw that on any random video or picture, I'm getting hundreds of comments like that. Probably at some point I would just stop reading my comments because it would just drive me mad. Right, uh, right. It's yeah, it's pretty, pretty nuts. Like I don't know if you've seen the comment under that uh, my morning routine picture. Um, it was pretty mind-blowing, honestly. <laughs> I think we might have talked about that. Um, I didn't see it. I'm actually trying to pull it up now just to uh, see if I see anything. But... I mean, it's, it was... <clears throat> so for people that don't know, I posted a picture. Very obviously a satire, basically. Like, my morning routine. And it's making fun of these crazy morning rituals that people have, which often I don't even believe that people actually do those things. But it's like 5 a.m., cold shower, 5.30, walking in nature barefoot, then cold deep tissue or cold massage, deep tissue massage. After that, vigorous exercise. After that, visualizing my goals. And it goes on until like 9 p.m. <laughs> and so it's, it's very obviously a joke. Um, and Mike Isratel reshared it on his wall. And I would say like half the comments like totally took it seriously. It's like, oh, Mike, so you're really walking barefoot in nature? Like what's the science behind that? And it's like, <laughs> man. You're an adult person. Like, you seem like you're over 30. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm looking at it now. Yeah. I, it, was, it was shocking, obviously, or honestly. Yeah, yeah, I'm just pulling it up now. I can't even, like, I like Mike. I just can't keep up with his Instagram because he posts, like, 10 times a day. <laughs> and I don't, I don't actually consume that much Instagram, or at least I try not to. So, but yeah, this is, this is interesting as I'm, like, <laughs> going through yeah. this. Bizarre, man. Yeah, really bizarre. Anyway, um, yeah, the, uh, the other thing I wanted to briefly ask you before we delve into our topic, uh, the reason why I'm uh, feeling free to chat like this, because I think we are going to go through the actual topic of today like pretty efficiently, but... Um, I, I really enjoy that in your interviews, pretty much every time you're bringing up the genetics topic and kind of the the topic that we talked about on, on my podcast together one time, like the false hopes that a lot of people like to give people, like you can achieve any anything if you just work hard enough. And um, I think it's great that you're still not bored of bringing that up because anytime you bring it up, I feel a little bit like gratified because honestly, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that I see being posted is just really frustrating. Um yeah, have you had any new thoughts on that uh, lately or new frustrations? So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's there's, <laughs> there's always more to be frustrated about. And unfortunately, I mean, it's just it's a losing battle. Um, I think the reason that I put it out there is not because I think I'm going to convince everybody that this is accurate. I think I just hope that I can like get to some people because I, I look back and I've, I've told this story a few times, but like I look back to me in high school and, you know, I really thought, I remember I posted on discussbodybuilding.com, which isn't even a forum anymore. And I said, what do you do when you've hit your goal? You know, like when you're done and like, I was like a year into training and everybody was like, yeah, that might never happen. And my goal at the time was to be 225 pounds at 10% body fat. And like, I am 30 pounds of muscle away from that. <laughs> like, it's just not even close. 
But, you know, I was watching like Chris Thibodeau, who I, I probably have like a lifelong uh, grudge against him now from T Nation, uh, Christian Thibodeau. And because, and the thing is like, he wasn't doing anything that like everybody else wasn't doing, but he was like so clearly on a lot of gear. And he's over on like T Nation promoting this, like, I remember like, there was a program that came out called iBodybuilder, like the movie iRobot. And they like hyped it up and it was so expensive. And I mean, it was just crazy. And they're like, oh, I, and he would literally make claims like I gained 18 pounds of muscle. And like, you know, not discussing the gear. They sell incredibly overpriced supplements. And thankfully, I was never somebody who bought many supplements. But, you know, I kind of learned that early on. But like, I see that stuff and I'm just like, that is just like, you are screwing with people's finances. You're screwing with people's motivations. Like you're making people feel like they're failures when it's like they just really might, you know, if you're told, well, you're just not working hard enough. I mean, I read, I read an article on this kid who like literally he was he was good with most subjects but he just was horrible in math and he almost like wanted to kill himself because he was just failing miserably and then when he stopped trying to do like to do really well in math he just he ended up being like a writer or something and he was really happy but it was just like that you know we do have limitations and so i, I put it out there because i uh i just want people to understand that you know they might not be working hard enough you know you you have to really push yourself to get to the point where you can say you know what i really tried and it didn't work you know you shouldn't be saying that within like one or two years of lifting but to understand that like we do have limitations and uh i guess one recent example i mean and this isn't bad like i, I met somebody recently um and he's openly on gear at least he was open with me about it um but i go on his instagram and he was talking about his progression over the years and he uh one of his posts was like, you know, people just assume you take steroids. And I'm like, but dude, you are on steroids. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you can you make this post and the the way it comes across is if it's just based on hard work. And he looked good before steroids. Like I saw pictures before and I saw pictures after, but he looks like monumentally better after the steroids. But that's not he's never going to post about that, you know, and, and it, to be fair, most people aren't ever going to. And that's fine, I guess. But I, I just think it gives the wrong picture. And I think a lot of people who are on steroids just talk about the hard work. And it's like, man, I'm sure you did work hard, but that's not all that is. Yeah, it, but and it's the thing is, it's very tricky to kind of juggle this from a like an ethical perspective, not just the steroids, but also the genetics thing, because on the one hand, I don't know if it's really what annoys me or us is that people are getting false expectations or it's just that we know what's really going on and it's just inherently annoying to see something being said, which you know is not true. Right. Because kind of the counter argument to all of this is like, if I'm just thinking about what inspired me when I got into all of this, I had like way unrealistic expectations. Like I had no idea what my genetic limits are. I didn't know what the difference between a, an enhanced look and a non-enhanced look is. So, or I didn't know the people that I admired, whether they had like excellent genetics or average genetics. So I thought like I would look something like, um, like a Jeff side or something like that. Or I actually thought that the difference between the physique of say Ben Pakulski versus the physique of like someone like you and I, is just that he's willing to just be in the gym all the time and do crazy amounts of volume. Right. <laughs> I actually thought that the steroids thing was just something that mean people accused bodybuilders with, but it's not really something that's happening. So, right. but so that, that's, that was the mindset that I had initially. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get huge. And by the time I actually approached my genetic limitations, of course, I figured out that, yeah, it's not really how it's working. But by the time I fell in love with the process, but maybe if I actually did have that realistic outlook of, well, look, look at your frame size, look at your parents, you know, you're probably not going to get enormous. Maybe I never would have stuck with the whole thing. So, I don't know. It's tricky, like how to actually manage this um, realistic expectations thing. Yeah, that last thing you said is actually uh, pretty interesting, you know, that you might not have stuck with it. I think, <laughs> you know, I would consider myself to be doing fairly well in most areas of life. But what's funny is like if I that's that's in part because I had this idea that it would be amazing and then the end result just ended up being good. But, you know, if somebody told me like, hey, <laughs> after 15 years of killing yourself in the gym, you're just going to look like kind of above average and kind of athletic. I don't know. Maybe I would have just been like, well, screw that, you know, um, and I, I think that applies to a lot of things. If you you might have this like grandiose goal. And I do think it's good to go after it and then hopefully find a way to still be content and happy, even if you don't, you know, get all the way there, if you've made a lot of progress in life. I, I still think that's good. You know, if you're trying to make $5 million a year and then you only make a million dollars a year, I mean, you're still doing pretty damn well. So um, I think in that sense, if, if people are motivating others, that's great. 
And again, to be fair, like we are talking to a specific niche here, right? 90 plus percent of people who go to gyms, as Greg Jusset says, probably do need to work harder. They probably do need to get that motivation. But it is, I think you and I both kind of agree there that there's just this kind of annoyance at the lack of truth. It's like, yes, it's great that they have to be more motivated, but it's annoying that they think like that person, and maybe this is like an ego thing on our part, right? Like that somebody would think somebody's more jacked than us worked harder. And after working so hard, we know, no, that's not true. It can be frustrating to hear that. Um, and even, you know, the example that that kid I brought up earlier, like I like the guy, I've, you know, I've met him a few times now. I'm not saying he's, he's being like disrespectful or cruel or anything like that, but he looking at pictures, he definitely has good genetics. Like when he was naturally clearly has good genetics and he uses gear. And he's been lifting, I think, maybe 10 years. And he would, like, blow me away. Like, it wouldn't even be close, like, physique-wise. So, you know, it's not to, like, take away his message. It's just, like, look, like, people aren't going to... Most people are never going to look close to you. And I think that's important to get out there. But not everybody wants to say at the end of every post, <laughs> hey, just a disclaimer, you're never going to look like me. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I was trying to, like, uh, I put out um, my 10-year transformation kind of thing on on Instagram and on purpose for my before picture I picked a picture which is like a realistic starting point for me which is it and the thing is it's not that impressive if you look at the before and the after picture like on the before picture I look like not muscular but a kid who moves basically like a, I was always a sporty kid I, I played I tried a lot of different sports I did some push-ups and pull-ups at home in my free time so it's I was always into like movement and sports and stuff so if you look at my starting point and if you look at my finished product now it's not a super crazy impressive transformation but I could put out a picture where I was like injured and lost a shit ton of muscle and was lean in the meantime so I look like a holocaust victim or something like that right, right. so if I put that up as a before picture it's like whoa bro like crazy transformation but that's not real and um so but but I, at the same time i saw someone that i respect you know he has, he has all my respect but jeff alberts put up a you know his transformation pictures and there is a photo where he was like 17 or something like that and like now and i know that we all know that jeff alberts was pretty much jacked as he came out of the womb right. like he he was jacked all his freaking life so I even said, like, Jeff, like, were you injured there or something? Like, uh, I thought you were jacked as a kid even. It's like, well, yeah, it was a long layoff. I didn't work out for a year. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, there, there are just countless examples. So hopefully people don't take this as, like, us bashing others. They just get that we want it to be realistic, you know. Um, I think just by virtue of staying in this game for a long time, like, most people who have crap genetics quit, you know, not just with lifting, but anything. You know, if you're horrible genetics for football, you might try it for one year, and then you're probably going to duck out <laughs> because it sucks to continue doing something that you don't have good genetics for. So just by looking at, like, the pool of people out there who have been in the gym for 10-plus years, that group alone already probably has better-than-average genetics. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Even that's not always the case because, um, like, you and I, I mean, I don't exactly know how like good your genetics are compared to mine or whatever. I would consider myself like pretty much bang average. Like I have some good body parts and some shit body parts. On the net average, probably I'm like average, maybe in terms of pure muscle mass, how much I can put on. Maybe I'm even slightly like below average. But just looking at Instagram, I would say, I would think that I have like super shit genetics. Sure. But there are people in the industry even that have you know, they, they were, they worked out for as long as I have, and they have, they have far worse, worse physiques than I do. <laughs> so it's sometimes good to get a little bit of perspective. Like, yeah, there are levels. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. And you look good in the, uh, the video you just put up on if you should bulk or cut. Like I was looking at that, you look very filled out. Now, are you still around the same weight or are you, have you bulked up a bit? Oh no, I'm definitely not shredded anymore. Um, then I would, then, then my face would look more handsome, but I would definitely not fill out that shirt. <laughs> no, I'm like mid, mid teens now, or low teens body fat wise so I, I definitely went up from my like shredded um weight but uh but yeah you like the 180s now weight wise yeah yeah like low low 80s kilogram wise so like i i haven't been weighing in a lot these days but uh probably like 83 4 kilograms or something like that yeah yeah that's about what i would have guessed yeah yeah um anyway so uh let's finally talk about what we are actually here to talk about um <laughs> so bulking um Obviously, we had this conversation before, but uh, it wasn't usable. So um, basically, my stance on a recent video that I put out was that the whole idea for most people that you should purposefully push your body weight up super aggressively 
and you should get like much softer than you would want to in order to actually put on muscle and that is just something that you have to suck up is for most people just not necessary because it just results in putting on a ton of needless fat and um, you can settle for a much more kind of lifestyle oriented approach where you're just eating enough to fuel your workouts and to feel good and over time the muscle gains will come and you just cannot force feed this whole process and basically all these people that are out there showing that well I'm, I'm eating so much and I'm, I'm already I don't know 20 pounds up and I, I'm sick of eating but but I have to do it because I gotta get huge is just there because they need more content to show people but otherwise it's it, it's just gonna end up them getting chubby as well and then they will have to do a whole bunch of needless cutting after that which could have been preventable so that was kind of the gist of what I was talking about but there is obviously a lot of counter examples to that where it seemed to have worked out for some people so maybe they never would have gotten as big as they did if they never pushed their body fat up as high as they did so I don't know it's um it's an interesting subject uh, so what are your initial thoughts Hey guys, sorry, just a short interruption. Mainly doing this because people have been asking me a lot in private messages on Instagram and Facebook and email whether I'm doing online coaching and the answer is actually yes. Maybe I've been doing a bad job promoting this so far, but in each video description, if you go to the show notes, you will always see a Calendly link there where you can book a free call, where we can chat on a call for up to 45 minutes. We can talk about your goals, what you would like to achieve, and whether or not you and I are a good fit for a coach-client relationship and can effectively work together to achieve your goals in the most efficient way possible. So if that is something of interest to you, then you can check the show notes wherever you're listening or watching this. There will be a Calendly link where you can just book that free call and we can move forward from there. So that's all I had to say for now. Let's continue with the show. Yeah, so, I mean, there's not a ton of data out there as far as, like, you know, research on this. There's the one study where they showed people who had a, a really high, a really big surplus, they ended up gaining something like three times as much fat, but barely any more muscle. So you could look at that and say, well, there's really not much of a benefit. If you just go slower, it'll be better. I actually do think that, like, when you're starting, I think it's good to push things a bit. Um, I think because you have so much potential for muscle growth, you can afford a bigger surplus. And so I think you could, you know, really go up and wait quite a bit that first year, maybe second year. And even for the first few years, I'm still in the camp of being in favor of bulking and cutting cycles. Now, again, that's what I did. That's what almost everybody I know who was big did. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way to do it, but it seems to be how <laughs> almost everybody actually ends up doing it. I mean, if you look at any of the bodybuilders we know, Jeff Nipper, Jeff Alberts, um, Alberto Nunez, Eric Helms, like the whole 3MJ crew, Lane Norton, they've all gotten significantly higher in body fat at some point. Um, not to mention, of course, if you're talking about relative to contest prep, you know, that contest leanness, you're going to be, you know, at least 20 plus pounds over stage weight for most people anyway. But I'm talking about even if you were to die down just to being like beach lean, I still think there's some value in going above that. But once you've been doing this for a while, you know, I, I think taking it a lot slower, I like, I don't know what your plans are now that you've gotten like really shredded. I don't know how much heavier you plan to get, but I think, you know, doing it slowly ultimately is going to provide about as much benefit. I think last time we talked, you know, the stuff that got erased, I think we were talking about Steve Hall, how he's bulked up to like the biggest he's ever been. And it'll be really interesting to see how much that really nets him when he does his next contest. And and I think relatively, it, he will certainly be bigger. Um, but again, he had only been training, I think, maybe seven years at his first competition. So I would certainly expect him to, to go up from there. Um, and I think the anecdote I gave last time was that after about 12 years or so of lifting, I decided to just do one like mega bulk. So I'd always done a yearly bulk cut cycle. And this one, I changed it to two years. So for the first year and a half, I bulked up and I went from about 182 up to about 220 pounds. And I was super soft. <laughs> and I mean, I was big though. I mean, the nice thing about being, you know, I have a pretty big frame and, you know, I'm 6'1". So most people just saw me as bigger. Like they just saw me as a bigger, more muscular guy. And like, you know, I would, I definitely felt fat. My face was looking chub, like very chunky, but most like, like the average person just thought I was like a really big guy. Um, and then of course I then started to identify as that. So that made it even harder to cut down. Um, but what I found was that when I cut down to about 200 pounds, I was 
bigger than the last time I was 200 pounds. But by the time I'd cut down back to like 180 or so, I really didn't end up netting much of anything, uh, unfortunately. Now, that's just my own anecdote. You know, maybe somebody else, it would be different. But on the whole, I'd agree with you. But I, I do think for the earlier years, doing bulks can still be beneficial. Yeah, yeah. So we will. So the yeah, the earlier days, that's that's one interesting talking point. But one thing that we also kind of talked about the last time is that with especially the more like intermediate plus guys. So let's say Steve Hall in this case, it's. It will. I would also expect him to have retained some of his bulking, bulk accrued mass. But it's always the question of was it the fact that he pushed his body weight up so high, or was it the fact that he just spent a long period of time not dieting? Right. Essentially, kind of the same same thing in the case of Eric Helms, where he said that this was the biggest he has been at that super shredded uh, body fat percentage when he dieted down, and as he was dieting down and hit the new kind of lean as benchmarks he always posted pictures and it's like this is the best my physique looked at this body weight and so it's it clearly worked that he went up to like a 220 pounds 100 kilograms and you know around 20 percent body fat in his off season but was it the fact that he went up so high in body weight or was it just the fact that he spent seven years not dieting it's it's always a tricky thing to to tell yeah for sure we, we did talk about that and i think that's a, a good point just by not not having so much time cutting because i mean that was probably one of the benefits i got from mine is i was cutting and actually you know one anecdote i gave before as well was when i was a I think sophomore in college and at that point I was dieting down to closer to like 170 and I just remember thinking it would make sense to just have smaller cycles so that I could just stay leaner all the time so I was like okay well if I normally bulk up for nine months and I cut down for three I'll just bulk up for like three months and then I'll cut down for one and that for me did not work you know for whatever reason it just didn't work um I don't know if you know, there's really some science behind holding on to gains. Uh, when I had Dr. Cody Hahn on, we did talk about that, how even though you've gained muscle, there it might be different constituents within that muscle. Um, years and years ago, I remember Shelby Starnes, who's a enhanced bodybuilder and coach, saying that like he didn't think there was any reason to hold on to gains. Like he's like, you know, muscle is muscle. And then he later, years later, changed that stance and said, you know what, no, I actually found that it does make like better results if you hold on to the gains. So um, for whatever reason, those shorter cycles just did not work for me. And I found that I needed more time. And so it could be, you know, what Dr. Cody Hahn was talking about. It could be what you're talking about, just less time cutting. Um, but I do think an extended period of time working towards massing, regardless of the degree of surplus, as long as there's some surplus, you know, I, I think that's a really important point. Yeah. And out of curiosity, so were you like pretty lean when you did those shorter cycles? I was probably around like 12%. So I wasn't I wasn't super lean. But I mean, I was relatively lean, I was basically trying to get down to my, you know, the end of my cut. And then I basically just over the next three months went up to like 175. And then cut down again, and then tried to go back up to 175. And I just netted nothing. Um, and I clearly wasn't even tapped out at that point, right? Like, I'm, I'm bigger than that now. So it's not like, oh, I wasn't gaining muscle because I was done growing. I just there's something about that. It just was not working. I think I just needed more time focused on progressing and gaining. Yeah, because I was thinking that maybe it would make sense that if you're like trying to do that at a leaner state, then maybe you're just overall staying in a an overall state that is just not super conducive to muscle growth. Like if someone was at 7% body fat and only went up to 8 and then back down to 7 like that's just purely being at those very low body fat percentages, your training might just suck and things like that. But 12% body fat, that's that's pretty reasonable. So in theory, you could have netted something. So it's interesting that it just didn't work. Yeah, yeah, it was um, interesting and frustrating. <laughs> another thing is, so we talked a bit about the, um, the more beginner side of things. Do you, I don't know how you feel about this, but, but I feel like even to those people, probably it doesn't make a lot of sense to be, like to put on as much body fat as, as those people tend to put on uh, in, in their first bulk. Like I, I also went through that in my, I don't know, I was maybe like two years into lifting when I said like, you know what, I'm just going to eat and get big. And yeah, when I did that, at the end of it, I found that I was bigger when I cut down. But um, at the same time, I think it's one of those things where, yes, you did gain muscle while you were, while you were eating a whole bunch of food, but at the same time, did that extra fat gain and being in that really large surplus help you? Or was it just the fact that 
you can just gain muscle at a, at a high rate no matter what you do, but you might as well could have made lean gains and it wasn't necessary to eat as much as you did. Um, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? I don't know. Um, I think you don't need to go crazy on the surplus. Yeah. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people who take it too far. They just like, you know, dream or bulk. And it probably is unnecessary. I would still rather somebody eat too much than not enough and then just spin their wheels. I mean, fat loss isn't that difficult so you know i'd rather them gain i don't know over the course of a year 10 pounds of fat instead of five pounds of fat you know we can get that off in a couple of weeks without much issue and then they've you know kind of maximized their potential for that year versus just kind of spinning their wheels and not eating enough so yeah i mean realistically how much of a surplus do you really need probably not more than a couple hundred calories um but if somebody's telling me you know i really just want to get big i would still err on the side of a bigger surplus personally yeah and 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 that's um it's interesting because i think we talked about this the last time as well that oftentimes the actual surplus that you need to be in just comes down to the least practical trackable surplus that you can put yourself into like i i think for many people actually like a hundred calorie surplus would be perfectly fine like if you just do the math of like how much weight gain that would amount to over the course of say six months i mean that would be a very respectable amount of weight to gain if you were just in a hundred calorie surplus it's just it requires an amount of meticulousness that, uh, I mean, 100 calories, tr actually tracking that and, and ensuring that you're actually in that 100 calorie surplus day to day can actually be pretty tricky. Um, so I think that's why often like 200 calories is the least surplus that is recommended. So two to 300, because you can actually track that down pretty accurately. Um, but probably if we were to, if we were actually able to track down things as precisely as we would want to, you could even be like in a 50 to 100 calorie surplus. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But what I like to do with, with, with people that are open to that and what I try to do in my case these days as well is to actually just rely on appetite and let that dictate things. Because honestly, I don't think it matters as much as it, it, it would intuitively seem to be the case that it, you have to be in a surplus like each and every day. And if by some chance on some days you're only at maintenance or maybe in a small deficit, then it's, it's, it's just going to throw off your bulk. I mean, honestly, you're looking at a trend over time. So if you've been in a surplus for like eight days and then you have one day when you're not in a, in a surplus, then on the net balance, you're probably still like up regulating all of those things that you want in your body that are responsible for maximizing anabolism, so to speak. So probably it's not such a big deal if you're like not in a surplus every single day. So probably just gauging appetite sh should be a workable way for many people. But I think that brings up another thing which makes this a bit tricky is that people are just different. So I'm obviously coming off of my own my own experience and a lot of people that tend to interact with me because I'm, I guess I'm just attracting them with the content that I'm making because I've been always someone who would tend to get a bit fatter if I'm not paying attention versus staying too lean and too small. Whereas for other people, they might have the issue that they tend to undereat all the time. So they have to be a bit more purposeful with ensuring that they are in a surplus. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think last time we did talk about how we probably wouldn't go too much on appetite. I know some people say, oh, like, you just got to trust your body. I see a lot of <laughs> a lot of BS about that stuff of like, you know, you just got to trust your body. And if you're, you know, if you're gaining weight, you're just eating the wrong foods. I mean, that sure can be true to an extent, but... I see somebody recently talking about how like if you're eating the wrong food, I mean, it was just complete nonsense of like, you know, your testosterone estrogen balance will be in perfect alignment. And if it's not, it's because you're doing something wrong. It's like, yeah, or you just have more aromatase. And for some people, especially, I mean, they could just be higher body fat, but like we have different genetics, you know, some people are going to have higher and lower hormone levels. Some people are going to have higher and lower appetites. I, I don't think you can just go by that all the time. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of fat people who still are really hungry all the time even if they're eating some of the right foods, you know, I mean, it's just different. And I'm kind of like you where my predisposition would be to be heavier, you know, to be a higher body fat percentage. Um, I know a couple people who just naturally are just freaking like 8%, like a legit 8% all the time. I mean, that that's rare, like a legit 8%, you know, um, and then to be even like leaner, you know, like a true like 2% like Kino body. I mean, that's, you know, more than a million. Crazy. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, some people are gonna be different. And I think, 
think if you're somebody who just has no appetite, you are going to have to consciously pick, you know, more calorie dense foods. You might have to force feed yourself. I know we were saying before about how it's unnecessary in terms of like gaining a ton of weight, but I, I do think there are going to be some people whose bodies just don't want to gain weight and it's going to be a struggle for them. And there's going to be some people whose bodies just really don't want to lose weight. And again, it's, it's going to be a struggle. And uh, I don't know how much you can really change that, you know, that body fat set point. I mean, that'd be a whole other discussion. I don't know if you want to get into that, but there's plenty of data out there that shows that that's very hard to change. You know, when your body is going to try to maintain homeostasis and even after maintaining weight for a long time, there's still often a decrease in resting metabolic rate relative to people who are naturally at that weight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's, this is very complicated or very tricky to manage because for a lot of people, uh, basically the way they could maintain a leaner physique and complete a long, many months long gaining phase in, a, in a, an overall leaner state would be, essentially the way would be to kind of have the same behaviors and many of the same foods that they would eat on a cut, which many of them probably just wouldn't find as enjoyable. And they can get themselves to do it while they're cutting because at least there is a short-term promise of, okay, I'm going to do this, but then my body is going to look better in eight weeks. But then when the cut is over and it's now time to gain and just eat enough, then it's like, well, so now I have to keep eating like this. This sucks. I don't like this. And that's when it's easy to gravitate back to their old habits and start reincorpor reincorporating some of the foods that they were eating before. And then, yeah, their predisposition is to just get a bit heavier and fluffier eating those foods. So it's a very tricky thing to, to manage people, to manage for people. So I, I guess that's... That, that's where this whole kind of lifestyle change uh, talk comes in. And for many people, I guess, uh, I guess a, a lean bulk has to be some sort of a, a more lenient cut almost if they actually want to stay leaner. Um, I don't know if you have some experience with that or any thoughts on that. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you where you think you'll end up body fat wise and, you know, if you think what's more sustainable for you. I know you liked being leaner, but I don't think that's super sustainable from what you said. So um, my follow-up question was going to be what you, you know, where you think you'll kind of maintain. I think for the most part, yeah, you still have to make a lot of like conscious decisions in terms of the food that you're eating, especially if you just finished the cut. You know, if you just got down to a really lean point, I mean, you can't just go ahead and eat whatever you want. I mean, actually, one of my like favorite periods is when I've just finished a cut and I'm just now slowly going back up. Like most of the time, that's where I really like to be because when I'm bulking, like I've been, the last time I cut was about two years ago now, the last time I got like pretty lean. So I've been, you know, 195 to 205 for a while now. And, you know, sometimes dipping down like to 190, but I haven't done like a serious cut in a while. And it's fine, but I just, I don't have the appetite like I used to, um, you know, I've run into like some GI issues and stuff like that. So when I'm dieted down, I like, I feel the best because like I'm not bloated at all. I, you know, libido is starting to come back up. This is like, you know, now like a month after dieting. So energy is starting to come back up. Libido is back up. I look really good because I'm really only like a couple percentage above my leanest. And, you know, all of that just kind of comes together versus like, obviously, when you're dieting, you're going to be exhausted, at least for me, you know, my sleep goes to shit, um, I get very tired, yeah. uh, libido is like crashed almost instantly. So when you're coming back up, it just is like everything, you're almost like hypersensitive to these new things. And like, even just adding a little olive oil to my boring food yeah. seems so good, you know, or eating a little more fruit, which like now... I mean, I do eat fruit every day, but like, it's just, I'm like force feeding a lot of this stuff now. I wouldn't say force feeding, but it's just not like super enjoyable. But man, when if I'm like really lean and I'm coming back up, like an apple tastes like dessert, <laughs> you know? So it's almost like everything is just hypersensitive when in that first month or two after a diet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is tricky because, um, I mean, obviously there is the cliche of the way you diet should be a way that you can foresee yourself eating for the next decade or something like that. But, but um, right. again, you just cannot predict how your mindset is going to be once you're actually done with the diet. Because many times it's, um, for example, when I was getting down to this super low body fat percentage, then I really felt like, yeah, I, I could actually, if I could just eat a couple of more servings from this food and that food, then I could eat like this forever. But um, that's when I was down there and I didn't have the goal anymore for, you know, getting ready for this photo shoot. And that's when I realized like, man, it's not just the diet, but just life at this low body fat percentage just sucks. Like I cannot sleep. I have no libido. I'm irritated by everything around me. So, I mean, I, I could, I could keep doing this. I'm not as hungry anymore because I'm eating enough, but probably if I just want to have a better quality life, I need to get a little bit heavier. 
and um yeah and that's that's again when when the new challenge comes in of kind of still maintaining moderation but not being as restrictive as as you were before which is again kind of a new skill set that you need to learn i guess it's an art form in a way like you have to find your body sweet spots where how much of the little daily struggle can you tolerate essentially there is an amount that's worth it and you can kind of come to terms with it it's like okay maybe you cannot be as indulgent when you go out to eat in a, rest- in a restaurant as some other people are but this is still something that you can live with this is something that you can maintain yeah it's just a, a skill that you have to learn over time it's a tricky thing to manage <laughs> it's interesting actually once i do this next cut which i'll probably start cutting in about a month or so um i'll, I'll change my instagram handle to ssd dave <laughs> i gotta learn how to sustain it <laughs> but uh I think it also definitely that that body fat that you choose to maintain is really critical um, because I made a video, I think it was like around the holidays and I was saying how like, I just, I really don't care if I gain fat at this point, like around like holidays, because it's just so like my body is very comfortable maintaining right around 200 pounds. And so like last weekend, I usually don't eat like this, but last weekend I had friends in town and I mean, honestly, I ate pretty poorly the entire weekend. And I didn't gain any weight, like just like none. And I'm like, look now, like how did I not, like I felt like I was eating a lot, but I mean, that's one of the things, right? When your body gets to that set point, it makes you feel like you're really full from somewhat normal levels of calories. So I'm thinking like, man, I'm eating all this junk and everything. And, you know, I'm sure there was some increase in metabolic rate and neat and all of that. But I, I ended up being like exactly the same weight. And uh, yeah, when I had like the holidays, you know, my body, thankfully, you know, from years of lifting and having more muscle mass and everything and staying active, it's just it's so easy for me to maintain this weight. I don't even have to think about it. But if I wanted to maintain, you know, like a legitimate 10%, I would have to make a lot more conscious decisions and I had to eat, you know, less calorie dense food. And it just depends on, on what you're looking to maintain. And obviously, the further away you move from that set point, the more your decisions are going to have to be conscious and you're really going to have to start watching things because you can go on i mean like one other anecdote the last cruise i went on i didn't really cut at all so that was this past summer and for people who haven't been on a cruise it's just unlimited food all the time tons of variety i mean it's just free unlimited food and i think i did uh i didn't track calories obviously i mean it'd be impossible to do so but i didn't gain like any weight i went on at 200 and i finished at like 200 i mean i maybe gained like a pound and i was eating quite a lot when I went on my, well, I've been on a lot of cruises, but when I went on one in when I was like 20, 21 after college, I had just cut down. So I was at like my leanest and I ended up gaining legitimately 20 pounds in five days. Now that was absurd. And that's when I was like, I was definitely like binging a lot of the time. Um, I was eating a lot more. But the point is like, my body was also just susceptible to gaining so much weight. And a ton of it was water, obviously. I mean, it, it was, that was not a good thing to do. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but just it was just such a vast difference in how my body responded based on, you know, me being at the end of a bulk versus at the end of a cut. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is uh, I, I talk about this a lot <clears throat> on my channel or I did in the past that really when and that, that's again what I referenced Greg Doucette, which I really like that is that's something I've been saying as well for a long time that people only think about cool, I would love to be 7% body fat or 10% body fat. That would be so great. It, it looks awesome. And they just think about the outcome, but they don't think about how they actually want to live. So yes, now maybe at 200 pounds, you don't like the way you look as much as if you were 180, but now you can actually do these things and your body just kind of comfortably auto-regulates its energy intake and um, you can stay at this body composition and it doesn't take that much effort. Whereas if you were 180, like, yeah, if you went out and you just ate whatever you wanted, I mean, you would be up, you know, three, four pounds really quickly and then you would be self-loathing or you just wouldn't be happy with yourself and it just creates emotional stress and whatever. So it's just, yeah, physiologically you can stay there, but is it worth it? That's, that's the big question a lot of people don't think about. So that's why this idea of, look, maybe that is your goal physique and this is what happens when you just don't give a shit. So somewhere halfway is, is some realistic place where you can stay. Yeah, so, I think that's you know. probably, you know, I'm going to cut down. So I'm like 205 five to a four this morning um i'll probably cut down to 180 um you know which i'm in no rush i don't really have any reason to do it other than just i want to and i expect i'll be pretty damn lean at 180 uh so we'll see and then realistically though i'll probably maintain 190 190 is also a very comfortable weight like when i was when i moved to north carolina um i was 190 i was like that was when i had cut down from 220 so that was that's probably the best i ever looked was when I was about 190 because I had still had some of that increased muscle mass from that big ball 
And I was like at my strongest. Um, I looked pretty good. You know, there's still flaws, obviously, that like I want to improve, but I looked good. And I was eating 35, and this is when I was tracking, I was eating 3,500 calories every day. I was eating out pretty much like when I wanted um, and doing my best to track that. And it wasn't very hard for me to maintain that 190. So that's a very comfortable weight. If anything, I don't even want to eat that much anymore um, because, you know, you can make 3,500 calories go a long way if you're eating, you know, less calorie dense food. But I think 185 to 190 would be a sustainable weight for me. And then just deal with the fact that I look forever small in clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. For me, pretty much I have this range somewhere between, okay, so I'll say it in kilograms, but like from 82 kilograms to like 88 is when I look like good. Obviously at 88, I'm a bit softer, but like still have like abs and stuff. And um, I'm comfortable taking my shirt off and stuff like that. And that that's like a good range for me. And, and I can be pretty flexible with my lifestyle. When I'm approaching like 80 kilos and especially dropping below that, then it's like, it's a kind of a constant effort to stay there. Right. So yeah, I mean, and I don't know, man, I think I know we talk about like our genetics being somebody just commented on my channel the other day saying that they or they messaged me on Instagram saying like they think I should compete and I do well. And I'm like, dude, I would not <laughs> I would not do well in today's lineups. You know, I think like a lot of bodybuilders are just looking insane nowadays and like younger and younger, too. But I mean, if you still have so 88 kilograms would be about like 193, 194. Yeah. And you're, I think, like six feet tall. So, I mean, 193 with abs at six feet. I mean, that that's pretty good, man. Yeah. I mean, not not abs as in like not flexing, just walking around and abs, but you know, like I can take a bathroom selfie, good lighting hit. You got a nice four pack going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And th and that's, I guess, one, one thing that people should keep in mind that when we say that you should bulk slowly and not be in a crazy surplus, that's, I remember when, like I used to think when I heard that, I was thinking like, man, that's almost takes more self-discipline than doing a crash diet because that's like you have to be so perfect but yes when you're trying to stay like super lean and that's when you're trying to be like only in a only in a 200 calorie surplus like that that's a big ask it's really easy to fuck yeah. it up but when you're in a place where you're kind of comfortably maintaining that weight even if you don't try then being in a 200 calorie surplus can actually be like tricky to pay attention to be in that surplus all the time um for sure so yeah yeah, it's it, this whole set point thing and how to modify it over time. It's a really fascinating topic because there are so so many things going on. It, it, it's so hard as well because people, basically everybody has a different experience with all of that. It's not just about body fat percentage and hunger and activity levels, but it's just like everybody has a little bit of a different kind of emotional relationship with food. Some people get just a lot more psychological relief from the act of eating, whereas others just don't care. They food, eh, whatever. Yeah, sure, it's tasty, but they can just take it or leave it. Um, a lot of these things that um, people don't factor in when they discuss it. So it's a good topic for future podcast episodes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Awesome. Cool, man. Then I think we've pretty much covered um, covered everything here. So, um, oh, yeah, one thing I, I want to close with is um, if you just could give the top seven biggest mistakes that people do during bulking and it would be great if you could order them but say it in reverse order so start with the biggest mistake and finish with the smallest mistake just if kidding. you don't mind i actually have a top 13 i just thought that would give people more value yeah yeah sure <laughs> and i'd be going odd numbers first and then even numbers hope everybody has a pen I, I, lo I love it when podcast hosts do this like what is the biggest mistake that people just like why are you so sure that there is one biggest mistake and that your guest has it right off the top of his head like <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> Anyway, yeah, just uh, let people know where they can find you. It's uh, theliftingdentist.com, right? <laughs> right, so uh, drdavemaconey.com if they want to check out my website. Um, Dave underscore McConey on Instagram and Brains and Gains on YouTube. I actually got to think about that because I had some people say like, you know, oh, it'd be easier to find you if you have the same name, which is definitely true. Um, I'll have to figure out Brains and Gains was taken on Instagram. So I got to figure out if I just want to make my YouTube Dave McConey or if I'm just going to keep them separate. But for now, that's where you can find me. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, then please, once again, consider dropping a five-star rating on iTunes. It would mean a lot to me and it would be truly helpful. And if you're interested in more cool stuff, then you could visit my YouTube channel. If you type in sustainable self-development podcast there or even SSD podcast, it will come up. 
And if you're interested in working together with me, then you can check out the Calendly link in the show description. There you can book a free call with me. We can hop on that call, chat about your goals, challenges, determine if we are a good fit. And if that is the case, then we could be working together going forward to get you to the results that you want. So that's all I had to say for today. I hope you enjoyed this once again. And with that, see you next time.